this morning to Second Peter, Second Epistle of Peter, chapter one. We'll be looking together at verses one through eleven. Second Peter one and verses one through eleven. Give your attention now to the Word of God. Second Peter chapter one. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, There will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May God bless this reading of his holy word. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, how can we begin to thank you and praise you for the work that you have done? of how you have had mercy upon poor, broken, dead sinners. You have made us alive in Christ Jesus. We who once were far off from your promises, from your covenant, have been brought near by the shed blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, would you bless us this morning as we look to your word Strengthen us by it, encourage our hearts, and above all, pour out your spirit upon us in great measure that we might live each and every day pursuing the kingdom of our Savior and glorying in his grace and goodness. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, I was asked Wednesday night, why I picked the passages that I did for this Lord's Day, both morning and evening. And when I was thinking about the morning, I guess it comes down to this. What 
do I want to say to you in that next to the last message? What is it that I want to impress upon your hearts and upon your minds? And this first chapter in 2 Peter came to mind. Because brethren, above all else, what I long to see take place in you and in myself is that you and I will on that last day enter abundantly into the kingdom of our Lord and Savior. To draw near to him on that final day and enter in to his love and favor with great joy. Now as we look at the second epistle of Peter, Peter is addressing a remnant of Jewish believers who are about to face a variety of different problems. They are facing the danger of false teachers, the danger of false doctrines. They're going to have to deal, as Peter says in verse 14 of the first chapter, that he is about to die. And they're going to have to wrestle with his death. They even, in the final chapter, in verse 16, are wrestling with some of the things that Paul has written. Things that Peter says are difficult to understand. And if we're familiar with the scriptures, we might can think of some of those passages. But what was interesting to me as I looked at this particular passage is the way that Peter seeks to prepare these believers for the struggles that they are about to face. In verses 1 through 11, he highlights three things, and they might not be what you would expect for those that are going to face some pretty serious hardships. Peter draws them and, and bids them gaze upon the glory and the majesty and the beauty of the triune God. He asked them, first of all, calling their attention to the blessings that belong to them, the promises, the great and precious promises that God has bestowed upon them. And then he encourages them to keep growing in those areas and those graces and gifts that God has bestowed upon them to keep growing, to adding to that, increasing in those graces. And then lastly, he sets before them almost the, the unspeakably glorious hope of that eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as we consider this text this morning, my desire, my friends, my desire is not so much to prepare you for struggles or trials that you're going to be facing. All of us will. But primarily to encourage you to count the blessings you already possess. Stop. Take time. 
literally write them down. Think about all the ways in which God has already blessed you. Secondly, I want you to, to labor with all your might, with diligence, as Peter says, to improve the spiritual graces that have been given to you. And lastly, that you will, with great joy, look ahead to that blessed day when you will enter into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's, that's going to be a serious work if we can do all of that in the time that we have together this morning. But, you know, if you have the right tools, you can get the job done. If you don't have the right tools, it's not going to work very well. If you try to drive a nail with a with the handle of a screwdriver, that's probably not going to be very successful. But here, my friends are the right tools. Use these tools. Count your blessings, improve your graces, and enter with joy into the everlasting kingdom of the Lord Jesus. Well, let's look first of all at our first main point, which is standing with confidence on the promises of God. It's not in our hymn book. But again, many of you may know the words to the old gospel hymn, Standing on the Promises of Christ my King. Let eternal praises be to him. That is, that is what we want to do. Standing on those promises, we are going to praise him. We are going to shout and sing of his praise. But when Peter mentions in verse 4 how God has given us exceeding great and precious promises, it's not a vague reference. It's not some general notion about, well, God loves you and blesses you and and aren't you happy about that. In verses 1 through 3, Peter is very specific. He's talking about specific things when he mentions these great and precious promises. In verse 1, the first thing that he mentions, to those who have obtained like precious faith, faith as equal to ours, the apostles. And Peter says, you have received this, this gift, this promise of faith. And that if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. My friends, this is the foundation stone of all life and happiness in the Lord, both now and in eternity. Remember how the writer of Hebrews in the great chapter on faith says, it is impossible. That's a pretty significant word. It is impossible To please God without faith. He who comes to God must believe. He must believe that he is, that he is who he claims to be in the scriptures. And that he is a rewarder of all who diligently seek him. We thank God for this great gift that he has given 
of faith in him through Jesus Christ. It all begins, my friend. This is the starting point. This is where it begins with the gift of faith. It's why the Apostle Paul writes to the Ephesians and says, By grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not because you deserve it. It's not because you earned it. It's not because you can purchase it. It is the gift of God. Has God given you this gift of faith? If not, brethren, I I urge you today, call upon the name of the Lord. Ask him. Confess your sin. Acknowledge the coldness and deadness of your heart and plead with God to be merciful to you and give you the gift of faith that you might put your trust in Jesus Christ. If he has given you the gift of faith, then stop right now and bless his name. Thank him. Praise him for what he has done in bringing you to faith. This is not of you. This is of God's grace. So we can thank God for this precious gift. But don't stop there. Because Peter keeps going. Look at verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So in addition to faith, we need to praise God for his grace and peace. I wonder how many of us stop throughout our busy weeks and thank God for his grace. Thank God for peace that comes through the knowledge of Jesus our Lord. Now, if we just take the popular and common simple definition of grace as undeserved favor, there is a plethora of things we, we could mention, and we simply don't have time to, to draw them all. But we can mention a few. My friends, thank him for his grace in giving you life, that you're able to sit there this morning and breathe in and breathe out. That is God's gift. He is the one who gives us life. If you're here, you're enjoying a certain measure of health. It's not to say we don't struggle with different physical afflictions, but we have health. We have food. We have shelter. We have many gifts and graces that God has bestowed upon us that millions of people around this globe today are not enjoying. Thank God. Thank him for the grace and goodness of the Lord that he has bestowed upon us. Think of families. Think of having good Christian friends. Think of your church. Think of the scriptures in your language so you can read it and study it and think about it and pray it. Think about all that God has blessed you with. 
in this congregation for the gift of salvation and for the freedom, even the freedom to enjoy the Lord's day, to set this day apart to our God and worship him. All of these are God's grace and gifts to us. But Peter then adds peace. When's the last time you thank God for peace? Now, external peace, to live in a land as we do, it's not suffering the ravages of war or famine or any number of things. We have external peace. That is a blessing. But that's not what's in view here. And Peter says, grace and peace is multiplied to you. What he's saying is there is an internal peace. A peace, as he puts it at the end of verse 2, that comes through a knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. That is the peace that Peter has in mind. And Paul, of course, writes as he does those wonderful words in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. My friends, if you are here this morning and you have peace with God through through Jesus Christ, it's an unspeakable privilege. There are vast multitudes who are, are laboring under a sense of guilt and fear of the judgment of God. They know they don't deserve it. They know they're not going to receive it unless something changes. And yet they are powerless to do anything about it. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. What a blessing. What a promise that God has given that we can have these gifts and promises. But then Peter, in verse 3, makes this staggering declaration. He opens the floodgates and pours out this description when he says, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. If you can name it, brothers and sisters, if you can think of one thing that would enable you to have life and pursue godliness, God has given it to us. God has promised all that we stand in need of. Think of Romans 8, 28, and the promise that God works all things after the counsel of his own will for his glory and for our good. Think of Hebrews 13, 5, where God says, I will never leave you. Never, no, never. Five negatives he uses in that one verse. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Never. What a promise. Think of our Savior's words in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Think of 1 John 1, 9. Confess your sins, 
And he will forgive you your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Think of the promise of Isaiah 40 in verse 31, that those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Do you ever feel like you need to renew your strength? Like your strength is waning at a, at a critical moment and you need that strength. You know where it will be renewed? In stillness, in quietness, waiting on the Lord, looking by faith to him. All of these promises, and they're just a few. Brethren, the first step towards enjoying a close and comfortable walk with God, especially in times of difficult, begins here. The first step is to clothe yourselves, as it were. Wrap yourselves up in the promises, the great and precious promises of God. Read them. Pray them. Meditate upon them. Memorize them. Talk with others about them. They have been given to you. You notice what Peter says in in verse 4? He's given us all these great and precious promises. Look, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. You need to take some time and think about what that means. We are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. God looks at us through his son and he sees us made like him. That you might be partakers of the divine nature. I could be wrong, but it strikes me that this is Peter's way of describing what Paul calls being conformed to the image of Christ, that you may be partakers of the divine nature. Think about these promises, brethren. Great and precious promises. Stand upon them. Wrap yourselves in them. Meditate upon them. And blessings will abound. Secondly, I want us to think about pursuing with diligence an increase of spiritual graces. I don't know what your experience was when I was maybe 15 years old. I was brought to faith in Christ But I'm often grieved when I look back at those early days because, brethren, I was taught all you have to do is accept Jesus as your personal Savior. And when he returns, you'll go to heaven. And that was basically it. Just as long as you accept Jesus, as long as you profess faith in him, that's all you need to do. Now, technically speaking, that is true. So Paul tells us that if you believe 
in Jesus, as he is presented in the scriptures as Lord, you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is true. But my friends, Peter is not merely speaking about getting to heaven. What he wants for his readers, what he wants for this body of believers, what I want for this body of believers is that we reach the end and we enter with joy into an abundant entrance of the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Take note of what Peter says will bring that about. When he gets to verse 11, he says, for so an entrance will be given abundantly to you into the everlasting kingdom. For so, what's he talking about? He's talking about what he says between verses 5 and verse 10. And so what Peter is doing is this. Take note of how it happens. In verse 5, Peter says, for this reason, because of the precious faith you have, for this reason, because of the grace and peace that God has given, because of all the promises God has given and made in his word, for this reason, what does Peter say? For this reason, giving all diligence, ESV, make every effort, every effort, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and perseverance, or patience, and godliness, and brotherly kindness, and love. All of these things. Peter is saying, you want this to happen? Not just get to heaven, but enter into the kingdom with joy in an abundant way. How is it going to happen? Well, when you truly believe the promises of God, so when you do what Peter has talked about in verses 1 through 4, it's going to change you. It's going to have a profound impact on the way you live each and every day, which in turn will have an impact on how you enter the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice the difference between these two, somebody who's just going to get there and somebody who's going to enter in an abundant way. Peter describes it in verses 5 through 7. And what he's saying is if you truly believe, if you have that precious faith, and you've embraced those precious promises, then you're going to add to your faith. You're going to go beyond just faith. You're going to add to your faith this wide range of spiritual graces. 
You're going to add virtue. You're going to add godliness. You're going to add knowledge. You're going to add self-control. You're going to add brotherly kindness. You're going to add love. Does all that sound familiar? I think a fair number of people in this congregation have been memorizing Romans chapter 12. You remember how Paul speaks in that string of gifts and graces, beginning in verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, godliness, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate, brotherly kindness to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, with diligence, serving the Lord, rejoicing, patient in tribulation, steadfast in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, and so on. This is very similar to what what Paul wrote to the Galatians. In chapter 5, on the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, all of these things, Peter's doing the same thing. Add to your faith, brethren. Don't stop there. Yes, if you truly believe in Jesus... You will make it safely to glory. But if you want an abundant entrance into the kingdom, add to your faith. Add this wide range of spiritual graces. Now, listen closely. This is not something you do when you you have time. When... Everything else is is done for the day. Oh, I'm going to spend a few minutes on this. Now, Peter says, you notice the word? Diligently. Two times, Peter uses the same word. When he says in verse 5, for this very reason, giving all diligence. Not a little bit of diligence, all diligence. And as if that weren't enough, Look at verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent. You've already given all diligence. And Peter says, more than that. More diligent. Be even more diligent. It's it's striking to see how Peter emphasizes this element. And his language... Is, this is not the only place where we see this kind of thing. Think about how the Lord Jesus calls people to this throughout the Gospels. When he tells them, strive, strive to enter in at the narrow gate. Seek first. It's a priority. Seek first above everything else that you have to seek. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. Strive to enter into the narrow gate. Seek first the kingdom. Labor, Jesus says. Some of my first jobs were as a laborer on a construction crew. We got to do all the dirty work, literally. And it was hard work. And Jesus says, labor, labor for the meat that does not perish. 
Don't just labor for a paycheck. Labor for eternal spiritual gifts and graces. So our saviors strive, seek, labor. Now, my friends, let's be very clear. Probably don't need to emphasize this, but it bears repeating. Peter is not saying, if you just try hard enough, you'll be saved and you'll enter heaven and have eternal life. What he is saying is because you're saved, because you have faith, because you have grace, because you have peace, for this reason, add to your faith. Peter is saying because you are saved, you will, by the grace of Christ and by dependence on the power of the Holy Spirit, you will diligently and earnestly pursue growth in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Many of you may be familiar with how Peter closes this second epistle in chapter 3 and verse 18. He comes to the end. His final words. What's he going to say? I'm so glad you're happy in Jesus. No, he says, but grow. Imperative. Grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory. My friend Peter is calling these people. They're, they're getting ready to go through the trial of their life. Hard times, difficult times. And Peter says, for this reason, because God has given you the gift of faith, because he's blessed you with grace and peace, add to your faith virtue, knowledge, brotherly kindness, godliness, all of these things. Earnestly pursue. The point, brethren, is this. True faith in Jesus will never lead you to indifference. You'll never say, well, I'm saved. That's all I need. That's all I have to be concerned about. True faith in Jesus will never, never lead you to be content with where you are spiritually. True faith in Jesus will always lead you to add to your faith all these graces that will become a priority. This is the path, brethren. This is the path that leads to that abundant entrance into the kingdom of Christ. It's interesting that as I was sitting there this this morning and we began the, the study of Jeremiah and I was thinking about how Jeremiah in chapter 6 says, Thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see, ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Brethren, this is the way. This is the good path that leads to life, abundant life in the kingdom of Christ. Walk in it. It's like pilgrim 
uh, uh, like Christian in Pilgrim's Progress, as long as he stayed on the way to the celestial city and didn't depart to the right or to the left, he didn't seek any other way to get there that's easier. Every time he got off the path, it meant trouble and sorrow. This is the way. Walk in it. Trust, believe in Jesus, but obey. Obey his commandments. Grow in grace. Don't be content with where you are. Grow earnestly, diligently. Add to your faith all these graces. Well, our last point. Entering with joy into the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter in verses 10 and 11 makes it very clear. Not everyone who believes in Jesus is going to enjoy this abundant entrance into the kingdom. So Peter says, be even more diligent. Make your calling and election sure. Because if you do these things, then you will never stumble. You will never come short. For so an entrance will be supplied to you. If you do these things, the entrance will be supplied. But not everyone is going to enjoy the same blessing at the end. There will be those who began the race with a measure of excitement, with very excited, joyful at, at the idea of salvation. But in the end, they're going to stagger and stumble across the finish line like a, an unprepared runner who crosses the finish line exhausted and out of breath. They're going to make it, but just barely. They're just barely going to have the strength to cross the finish line. Earlier in the first epistle in chapter 4, Peter talks about those that are righteous yet who will scarcely be saved. It's as if they're they're just barely going to get there. Either in in time that they waited and waited and waited and and at the last minute they've put their trust in Christ. They're scarcely going to be saved. In the book of Jude, in verse 9, he talks about those, or verse 23, he talks about those who are snatched from the flame. He's talking about those that that are literally ready to perish And somehow, by the the witness of a friend or by the grace of God, they are snatched, as it were, away from the perishing flames. My friends, that's not what Peter wants. That's not what he wants to hear or see in the lives of those who are reading his epistle. Peter doesn't want that. I don't want that. I want to see you enter the kingdom of Christ with joy, with great 
enthusiasm. I want it to be an abundant entrance. What I desire for you and what I desire for myself is that we enter that kingdom and that we come in with an abundant harvest laden down, as it were, with with the graces and gifts that God has bestowed. And he gives them to us so that we might come to that day and glorify Christ by the way we've lived and by the way we've died. My wife said on the way to church this morning, you're not going to use that illustration about the two ships, are you? She said, everybody's already heard that. I've never heard a better illustration to illustrate what we're talking about, of an abundant, illust- uh, abundant entrance into the kingdom. So a, a, a little-known commentator on, on Peter wrote these words. He says, picture this difference. Two ships returning to their home port. The one rounds the horn of the cape as he's about to enter the harbor and the ship is leaning to one side. The mast is broken. The sails are torn and tattered. All the cargo has been lost in the storm. The crew is all sick and down below, and there's no one on the docks to welcome them home. They made it. They made it back to the harbor. They're safe. But it's not an abundant entrance. And so the writer says, now imagine a second ship that rounds the horn of the cape. And the mast is standing straight. The sails are full. The cargo is all safely battened down on the deck. The crew lines the rails, happy, singing, rejoicing. And there's hundreds of people on the docks waiting for their return to greet them with joy and gladness. My friends, that is an abundant entrance into the kingdom. That is the way we want to come to the end and have that abundant entrance supplied to us. It's not because of our efforts. It will be given because we love God and we love his word and we seek to follow it. Take hold of the exceeding great and precious promises that God has given in his word. Cultivate diligently to improve your gifts and graces. And so an abundant entrance will be granted into the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. May God do it for his glory. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you're a good and gracious God, a God who gives the gift of faith to those who ask, a God who pours out grace and peace to those in Christ, a God who 
grants exceeding great and precious promises to those who look to him in faith. And a God who works gives us the ability and the desire to serve our God with all our strength, with all our heart, with all our mind, and with all our soul. Oh Lord, would you do this, not for our sake, but for the glory of Christ. And on that final day, may we come rejoicing, bringing the sheaves with us for his glory. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Let's take a moment as we reflect upon these precious words.